And now, proper propaganda. Watch it. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines. Sidestepping the borders. Now, if you are just tuning in to Civic Cypher, I am your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward. You are listening to Civic Cypher. Yes, indeed. Um, keep sticking around because we are still doing our thug fizzle up here. <laughs> We're going to talk about forgiveness in the black community, and we're going to use Will Smith um, as an example. Um, I, I'm really excited to talk about that. Also, for our Way Black History Fact, we're going to talk about a guy named Solomon Sir Jones, a name that you might not be familiar with, but this is a man that preserved a not insignificant amount of black history, and his name needs to be mentioned, and why the history he preserved needs to be mentioned as well, so that you understand and can appreciate a little bit more about your black brothers and sisters, um, and that's what we're here to do. But first and foremost, I think it's about time that we teach you a new way to become a better ally baba how does that sound cute shall we we shall so today's baba become a better ally is sponsored by the black information network daily podcast you can check out black information network daily podcast on iheart.com or through the iheart radio app now this story comes from the griot uh everyone that everyone has that one sorry Everyone has that one extravagant person in their lives, that person who always shows up fashionably late and dressed to the nines, no matter the occasion, whether that's your bougie auntie or the Beyonce of your friend group. We've hunted down an array of unique and chic gifts for the fashion gurus on your list this year. Now, the reason we chose this is because we want you to support black businesses. It's holiday season, and these are companies that we've whittled down for you. Um, and don't. And uh, I also want to mention that this list is available on our Facebook, uh, it's at Civic Cipher, and on our Twitter at Civic Cipher. Um, so we're going to shout out these companies. There's ten of them. So Lorve and Elisa Johnson. That's Magic Johnson's daughter. Uh, they are making these really dope glasses, like fashion glasses. So check them out if you know someone that wants some glasses for the holidays. Uh, I think this is pronounced Sucre. Uh, and then another one that's Oma the label. They make jewelry. The jewelry looks really dope. I checked it out. Um, Stripped. Ama Nuok or Nuoki. Marche Chanel Squared and Irregular Exposure. All these companies make women's clothing. Uh, Amina Abdul Jalil makes shoes um, and they're like women's shoes. I'm not a woman, so they're cool women's shoes. I don't know what they're called, but they got the thing in the back. And uh, Brandon Blackwood makes handbags. And again, check our Twitter or our Facebook at Civic Cypher to get some cool gift ideas and at the same time support a black business and that way a black business and that way you can become a better ally. All right, moving on. Forgiveness. All right, so I'm going to share a quick story. Um, I uh, also host a, a podcast. Q joins me very often on the show. Uh, the Black Information Network Daily Podcast. And then I have a special version of that show that I put out uh, from time to time whenever my producer, Chris, lets me, um, called One More Thing. And some months ago, I had a One More Thing installment where I talked about the Will Smith apology, right? So this is after the Oscar slap. Um, 
he was he got a camera and it was like a newsroom in the middle of nowhere and he just kind of spoke to the camera for a few minutes and apologized to everyone and in particular to Chris Rock and his family. And I saw that and I saw that he owned his mistake. He acknowledged that he hurt Chris Rock above all else. He hurt his fans. He hurt casual, you know, viewers of the show here at the Academy. You know, he, he stole a night that was so special to so many people because of his um, behavior. Right. He acknowledged that. Um, and from what I understand or what I recall of that, he uh, committed to trying to be a better man and doing better in the future. Right. And then, of course, he says, you know, Chris, whenever you're ready to talk, I'm here. Right. Not continuing to you know harp on his name or anything like that. But listen, man, I'm, I was wrong. When you're ready, I'm here. Uh, let me make it right. You know, this is the energy that he gave up. I'm not quoting him. I want to make sure that that's clear. Um, and so I had to make an episode because I saw that and I saw people saying some, some stuff that I didn't really love. Okay. People were like, uh, that's not an apology or, uh, man, he deserves, you know, blah, blah, blah. We need to, we need to stop watching, you know, that, that sort of stuff. Right. And, you know, admittedly, a lot of these comments come from the internet, but the internet is a real thing. It is. We can't pretend like it's not. And, you know, part of the reason, uh, we'll get to it later, but part of the reason Will Smith um, said that he lost his cool in the moment where he ended up slapping Chris Rock was because of, in part at least, because he had endured so much online abuse because of his marriage and some of the goings on in his marriage, right? And it just became more than he could handle. I'm not making excuses for that man. That man is not making excuses for himself, okay? be clear about that anyway so he does his apology and i look at this and i look at the comments and i'm like wait a minute what more do we want from a person if they've done something wrong you know here's what i did here's how it made you feel Here's what I'm going to do in the future. Beyond that, what more do we want? Right? Are people supposed to be born perfect? Are people supposed to be born and then not make mistakes? Or let me ask another question. Um, are people simply the worst thing that they've ever done? I think you would say no. That's not true. Any more than people are simply the best thing that they've done. Yeah, but most people would say that with regard to themselves. Sure. And we're talking about me. We're the best lawyers in the world. I, we're talking about you. We become judge, mm -hmm. justice. Thank you. Right? We become, we're going to tell you all the things that you did wrong and all the punishment you deserve for them. Okay. But when we're talking about ourselves, we're going to explain to you marginalize, justify, make excuses for all of our wrongs. Because of course there was a reason I'm not just a bad person. Right. Right. So all that context, all that nuance and all that color exists when I'm talking about me, when I'm talking about you, you're just awful Ramses and you need to, you know, be able to own and accept that. So I love that you said that because 
therein lies the double standard and dare I say the hypocrisy that we all need to come to terms with, right? And I think that we, uh, this show exists to try to create a little bit more empathy in our conversations and our interactions and so forth. And I think as an additional Baba, I would challenge you if you can see attacks online and you feel like oh, that person is going through it better than me, but you don't feel like the attacks are entirely warranted, maybe speak up. You know, Will Smith says something in his interview with Trevor Noah, which we'll get to, but he says you never know what a person is going through. Um, and I know that this, what we're trying to do is discuss black forgiveness, and I, I will bring it home, but I do believe that forgiveness to err is human, right? To forgive divine. So this is not just a black issue. I think that in, in black circles, especially with black men, um, our mental health has been addressed more and more in modern years, particularly because of people like Charlemagne bringing it out into the open so we can discuss it. How do we feel? Is our, is our mind, is our brain lying to us? You know, I used to think because of bad information, I used to think that, I don't even want to go into it, um, but I used to think really bad things about black people. And I thought that I was bad because I was a black person, right? And I, that's as much as I'll give right now because I don't feel like crying on this show. But I had again, to grow up with that, right? We'd be, we'd be tearing up on this mic. <laughs> you don't feel like crying again, you mean. Right, right, exactly. We'd be in this thing. <laughs> but I had to grow up with that, right? And... You know, the, the, the self hate, you know, we talked about self hatred in, in the first half of the show with, with a lot of the black white supremacists. Now, obviously, I didn't get nowhere near that far gone, but I did recognize, um, that I didn't, I wish that I wasn't me. Why would I be born and have consciousness? Why would I be born this person? What did I do to deserve this? How come I can't have a happy story? where my family came on the Mayflower. Why did my family have to be slaves? How can I be proud of that? And then everyone I see that looks like me is poor and crying and they don't have food and nobody, you know what I'm saying? And I'm from Compton, so my, my experience is not universal among black people, but I had a real childhood. It, it may not be universal. It's, it's not uncommon though. But it's definitely not uncommon. Say that. Yeah, right? right. Most most black people in this country, even those who have reached the pinnacle of success and wealth, they're at most a generation removed from the exact story that you told. Boom. You know what I mean? That not not great grand, but just grandma. Yeah. Shoot, Dr. Westenberg comes to the show all the time and she always tells us the stories of what life was like growing up herself. So anyway. So mental health, right? Um, us taking a moment now to have at least a conversation about our mental health, our self image, um, 
what it means to be exhausted and how effective we are as fathers and as as protectors and as you know uh, leaders and as you know whatever whatever your role is you know um to take a moment and make sure that our brain isn't lying to us is become a little bit more important right but what i've seen is that we also need to have conversations about how to forgive each other. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't take responsibility. That doesn't mean that at all. Yeah. Because I think that, I think one of the highest testaments to manhood, I'm a man, so I will speak for men, um, and adulthood, because I'm an adult, so I will speak to that, is acknowledging where you fall short and owning that and owning the impact that it makes and owning how you are going to revise your behavior if you don't don't like it again here's what i did here's how it made you feel here's what i'll do in the future that gives us a lot to unpack and the lack of what you just said is what has caused a sort of hyper vigilance or or a uh a gross need for hyper accountability that's where cancel culture came from people think that people just that we all just jumped off the porch wanting to cancel people because we're mean i guess i think you know we we, we speak about like the, the me too movement as a moment in history so many years of so many men taking full advantage of their manhood and broad daylight at the peril of so many women caused a backlash that for some people felt like it was too far, but you have to understand this is in the face of impunity. Sure. So many people have not been held accountable. Now everyone has to be. Yeah. Right. So the lack of people saying, this is what I did. This is how it made you feel. This is what you deserve. And this is what I plan to do mm-hmm. causes people to overreach. Cause if they think nothing's being done or no one's being held accountable, yeah. They want accountability on a grander scale. Yeah, exactly. So that's what leads to that kind of lack of forgiveness. Like, no, we don't want another person to get away with doing something wrong. Yeah. I'm I'm so glad you said that because um, I, if I'm honest, didn't even think of the opposite side mm-hmm. of that, right? So I'm glad you brought that into the conversation here. Now, let's talk about Will Smith, just because it gives us a great opportunity to examine what forgiveness looks like. Now, again, to err is human. Uh, And then when it comes to black people and black men in particular, because I have that frame of reference, these conversations don't often happen because we're not taught this and because we are dealing with other societal pressures and we need the discipline and we need to you know understand the pressures that we have so that we can do a lot more healing and a lot less fighting uh, on and on you know again this is a constructive show not a destructive show Hmm. Uh, we try to make it that way it's an important thing to point out but we have to also acknowledge black white supremacists too Mm -hmm. so not tearing them down just point it out so don't give these people your attention, money, time, energy, or anyone like them. And that's how we beat that. Anyway, back to what I'm saying. So Will Smith goes on to the Trevor Noah show. Okay. Um, and he talks about that slap after he talks about the movie he's promoting. Right. And I'll be honest, man, it was good to see his face. 
it, Will Smith is not. Again, this is me talking. I won't speak for you. I won't speak for anyone else. He's not the worst thing that he's ever done. You're not the worst. Listening to my voice, you're not the worst thing you've ever done. I certainly hope not, I, I will not be the worst thing I'm, I've ever done on my day of judgment mm, or whatever. I, I know some people who are dead set that I am <laughs> sure, the worst sure. thing I've ever done. Well, fortunately, I've heard them say it out loud. Well, those people are not God. Um, Amen. Now, Will Smith mentioned, he's like, you know, uh, my father used to hit my mother. I think it might have been Trevor Noah said that he read that in Will's book. That, you know, he saw a lot of abuse growing up. So there was a component of that, right? Um, I mentioned earlier that Will mentioned that he had pent up rage from a lot of the online harassment, a lot of which was directed at his relationship with his wife. Um, and people, everyone had their opinions on what he should have done, what he shouldn't have done, how he sh should feel or shouldn't feel, and you know him being emotional about it. And you got to bear in mind, this is a man's wife yeah, and people, mother is children. Yeah, people right? have a very, very slighted view of how impossible it is to live all of your life publicly, not mm -hmm. just your public persona and your career, but your relationship as well. Right. I unfortunately had a small peek into what a public relationship with a public figure looks and feels like. I remember that. It is not fun. Yeah. It is not exciting, especially when there are hardships and downfalls and mistakes. They are also made out loud and in front of people. Right. And you get to hear how, in my case, thousands of people, in his case, millions of people feel about the decisions that you make that hurt that person that there might be that person's fan and mm. not yours. Mm -hmm. So you are in perpetuity the bad guy mm. um the whole will smith thing has been complicated for me rams is because i've i've never met chris rock but as you know i have a very close relationship with, with his will. brother oh with yeah and met will when i first started my career in professional sports and entertainment have been to his home and got some of the best advice i ever got from him um both of those guys were heroes to me yeah both of them superheroes and seeing them put in a position where for a moment they were, you know, because of Will's decision, opposition to each other. Yeah, that didn't. And they'd never been that before. Yeah, that didn't. And what we've all seen is, you know, I got to feel how one of my best friends felt about his brother getting being hit, hit in the face, face in, in front, front of, of everybody. World. Yeah. That's a lot to reconcile. Yeah. And I also, you know, never like for us to be out front at each other like that. Mm -hmm. You and I, in, in our own way, have steered as clear as we can of being opposition to someone that, as far as views go, we are opposed to. But we've tried very hard to not have it be framed as an us versus him. Yeah. I even know with things that we're dealing with. She was being very cryptic, but um, I know what he's talking about. Yeah, and you so, probably know too. So it, it hurt to see them in that space. I, I must say, however, though, Will is trying. That's where I want to, because I think that forgiveness starts with intention, trying, right? And I think that we should honor that in our, in our interpersonal relationships one-on-one, -on -one, when we look at people and offer our opinions online, when we move through time and space, we have to acknowledge that we are human beings 
interacting with other human beings, right? Um, Will says something in his interview, he says, be nice. You never know what someone else is going through. He says, on that day, I was going through some stuff, right? And for whatever reason, he thought what he did was the right thing. And in short order, he tells a story. He says, when I got home, my nephew was at home. He was watching the Oscars. He says, my nephew came and sat on my lap and he held the, uh, the Oscar. Is it Oscar or Emmy? Oscar. Oscar. Okay, cool. So he sat on his lap and held the Oscar. And he says, Uncle Will, why did you hit that man? And Will was like, oh my God. And in that moment, he realized that was the wrong thing to do. And maybe I even, need to try to maybe even not just in that moment, but you talking about an exclamation mark. There you go. That's that's probably because I, I don't want to speak for the man. Yeah. But, but, you know, and since then, he's like, look, that was wrong. That whole night was a stupor. What I did, what I said afterward, it just it that was wh where I was at. And that's not who I want to be. So how do I make it right? How does he make it right? Ask yourself, what do we want from people? when they make mistakes if not perfection apparently but right? what is perfection after you've made a mistake we, yeah. if we can understand and appreciate that human beings make mistakes if you yourself recognize that mistakes are possible in your own life and skin right um then what do we want from other people when they make mistakes do we want them to apologize do we want them to acknowledge the hurt that they've you know caused do we want them to adjust their you know uh, behavior moving forward do we want some sort of compensation i mean you, know? you you hit the nail on the head Rams. starting at i was wrong that's a lot yeah i was wrong and i apologize without with no qualifiers at all i what i did was wrong stop i apologize stop like <laughs> that's it there's not qualifiers there you know apparently for some people there is no right thing to do after a mistake. You made that mistake. So that's it. That's it. And that's, and that's fair. But if we are inclined to forgive someone, we need to really be conscientious of what that looks like. And if you feel like people don't deserve any grace, any forgiveness, then keep that energy and expect that in return. My point exactly. Now I want to say this: no one deserves forgiveness. Please include yourself there you in go. that equation. Yes. Now, I do want to say this. Um, uh, I wrote this note, and I think it sounds great. Uh, Trevor Noah was very gracious. Um, Trevor allowed him to not be a perfect human, but be perfectly human. Right. Recognizing that human beings are flawed creatures. Um, and I do want to add this. And this is kind of one of the things that sort of helped me start thinking about this as a concept, you know, forgiveness among us black people. You know, there's we have stuff, gang stuff. We have, you know, click stuff, rap beefs and all this sort of stuff in our communities. And forgiveness is not talked about nearly enough. And so this is why I really wanted to take some time. But there were two people that I saw. This is a years old video, but I just saw it recently. So forgive me. Sports guys. I'm not a sports guy again. I saw Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas. They were interviewing with each other where they forgave each other. Now, I don't even know why they were mad in the first place. I'll tell you that but, story one day when the mics aren't on. Okay. But it was beautiful. Uh, they they broke down. They started crying. I guess they were friends once upon a time. The closest. And Truman Ramsey's level friends. Oh, that would never happen to me and you. But <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You could see that it's like how. Know, but imagining it did happen to me and you. Yeah. Can paint why you saw them so emotional yeah but it 
if for that video, again, if you wanted to Google it, Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas interview, you see why forgiveness is important and just how healing it can be. And I think it's important for us to start to center that in our conversations in addition to our mental health and scene. And now it's time for the Way Black History Fact. Uh, today's Way Black History Fact is sponsored by Major Threads Menswear. Uh, to get the finest in menswear, check out MajorThreads.com. Uh, our Way Black History Fact today, we're talking about Solomon Sir Jones from 1869 to 1936. All right. Uh, he was an American minister and amateur filmmaker, best known for his collection of 29 silent black and white films, totaling 355 minutes worth of footage documenting African-American communities in Oklahoma from 1924 to 1928. In 2016, Jones's films were selected for the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Jones was born in Tennessee to parents who had once been enslaved. He grew up in the South before moving to Oklahoma in 1889. Jones became an influential Baptist minister, building and pastoring 15 churches. He was head of the Boyd faction of Negro Baptists in America and was a successful businessman. Jones's films consist of 29 silent black and white films documenting African-American communities in Oklahoma from 1924 to 1928. They contain 355 minutes of footage shot with the then new 16 millimeter cameras. The films document a rich tapestry of everyday life, funerals, sporting events, schools, parades, businesses, Masonic meetings, river baptisms, families at home, African-American oil barons, and their wells, black colleges, Juneteenth celebrations, and a transcontinental foot race. Jones's films have been preserved by the Smithsonian Institute, the Beinecke Rare Book and Manuscript Library of the Yale University Library, and the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Shout out to them. <laughs> they are considered to be the most extensive film records we have of Southern and urban Black life and culture at the time of rapid social and cultural change for African Americans during the 1920s and the very beginning of the Great Migration, which transformed not only Black people as a whole, but America itself. Jones filmed Oklahoma residents in their homes during their social school and church activities in the businesses they owned and performing various jobs. The films document several Oklahoma communities, including, forgive me, Oklahoma, Muskogee, Okmogee, Tulsa, Weewaka, Bristow, and Taft. The films also document Jones's trips to Indiana, Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Tennessee, Missouri, Illinois, New York City, South Carolina, Colorado, and overseas to France, England, Palestine, Switzerland, Italy, North Africa, and Germany. I've been to all those places except like two. Uh, slates between scenes identify locations, dates, and subjects. Jones frequently filmed at various locations by positioning himself outside a building while people exited the building in a line. This perspective provides footage of people as they walk by the camera, usually looking directly at it. Footage of churches includes congregants exiting the service and socializing outside. Footage of schools often includes students playing outside or doing exercises. And footage of people at their homes includes them outside on their porches or in their yards. Aside from church and scheduled school activities, people presumably exited at Jones's request for the purposes of being filmed by him. In addition to his work with film, Jones was a businessman and a Baptist minister who either established or was the pastor of some 15 churches in his lifetime. He was the son of ex-slaves, born in Tennessee and grew up in the South. Um, 
Jones spent the next several decades building black institutions, establishing churches, newspapers, and businesses, and supporting the activities of schools and hospitals. Jones also remained active in church politics, holding leadership roles in the National Baptist Convention of America, one of the largest African-American denominations in the United States for many years. Jones was a fierce defender of black institutions, one of many African-American leaders in Oklahoma who supported what came to be called all black towns municipalities occupied and governed by black settlers one of these towns was targeted in 1921 here we go <laughs> by white mobs for one of the worst racist attacks in american history referred to as the tulsa race massacre more than 800 people were admitted to hospitals and as many as 6,000 black residents were interned in large facilities many of them for several days the oklahoma sorry the oklahoma bureau of vital statistics officially recorded 36 dead a 2001 state commission examination of events was able to confirm that of the 36 dead, 26 were black and 10 white. Uh, it is believed that there are many more than 36 that died. I just want to tell you that that's not in this uh, here that I'm reading. Based on contemporary autopsy, autopsy reports, death certificates, and other records, Jones was well-traveled, traveling across not only the United States, but overseas as well. Uh, his films... Uh, of his overseas travels were only slightly less significant than Jones's films of Oklahoma, which still serve as a visual commemoration of the 35 years he spent advocating for African-American people and institutions in Oklahoma. Now, um, I do want to say that um, I pulled from two sources. One was uh, the Yale, uh, Yale, because they have the actual footage in turn uh, in that entity yale the the school and wikipedia so this is why you might hear a couple of things repeated twice i also want to say that um you know this might seem sort of maybe unremarkable to us modern folks but for us for black people you know when we see old movies old films silent films like this we often see ourselves as either not there or some sort of caricature of ourselves or as servants um we're propping up society rather than participating in it and for those of you who maybe didn't grow up black for those of you that have old films where you see yourself represented your your culture your people represented driving cars and engaging in whatever um you, you kind of take it for granted but when you don't have that and you see those films and you notice that there are no black people here and the black people you do, they're just serving people. Again, there's not a lot of dignity that you can find. You can find the black people existed. And these films are not only important because there was a black filmmaker, but they're important because, as I mentioned, he filmed locations by positioning himself outside of the building. So he saw people coming out of stores. He saw people coming out of churches. He saw people playing, people sitting in their front yard, people just having fun and living their lives. And they were black. And that's not something that you find in films like this from that time. We're, we're, we're people, you know, we're not just, you know, when you think back in the day, you think slaves, right? And that's fair because back in the day, we, that's all we were, you know what I mean? But Except that was never all we were. And thank you. And and these films are important because it shows a full human being living in America who has melanin in his skin and her skin and their skin. 
And uh, so, again, we want to shout out Solomon Sir Jones uh, for archiving these these films for us to enjoy. Uh, check out his work um, and just get a glimpse into what it looks like to be black and successful before they came and burned it down in 1921. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but that's going to do it for us here on Civic Cypher. Once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward. Um, thank you guys for tuning in with us again. Thank you guys for listening every week. Yeah. We thank you guys it. for caring about what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, these topics don't have to be important to you, especially if you're not black. For those of you that are not that invest so much of your time and energy into what we're talking about and how we feel and our experiences, we appreciate you. Absolutely. Um, today's show is produced by Maggie B. Nolan. Hit the website, civiccypher.com to submit any questions, any topics, make a donation. The show is growing uh, and it continues to grow with your support. Follow us on all social media, of course, at civiccypher.com. Um, you can follow Q at I am Q Lord. You can follow me at Ramses Ja. And of course, you can download the show, this and any other previous episode um, on our website as well. And uh, again, yeah, thanks for listening. So until next week, y'all, peace. Peace. Sidestepping the borders with press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander, here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question, then ask it. The news is just a TV show, get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, 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 like